Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to Promoting Conservative Values in Modern Europe. Please welcome the president of the Heritage Foundation, Dr. Kevin Roberts. Thank you all. It's great to see you here. And of course, many people who are tuning in live, and I'm sure will watch a recording if they miss this. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the Heritage Foundation. It's always a pleasure to welcome friends from around the world. And it is perhaps true that there is no greater friend to American conservatism than the Hungarian government. We're honored today, therefore, to be joined by Hungary's Minister of Justice, Judith Varga. Minister Varga was nominated to the role by Prime Minister Viktor Orban in June 2019. She pre previously served as Minister of State for EU relations as well as policy advisor to three members of the European Parliament, including Hungary's former president. She holds a judicial degree and served as a judicial law clerk at the Metropolitan Court of Budapest. Perhaps most importantly, and I say this as a father of four, the minister is the mother of three boys. Upon taking office in July 2019, the, prime, the minister's, prime minister's congratulatory message to Minister Varga was, a new striker joins the team, a reference to her football, or as we say here in the United States, soccer background but also no doubt to her ability and willingness to go on offense to advance and defend conservative values, something we value here at Heritage. It is a critical moment for societal values both here and in Europe, and Minister Varga is at the center of several key policy positions and efforts. As you noticed, Europe is undergoing its own versions of the culture wars. The validity of conservative principles at the individual level, such as traditional family-oriented values, and at the national level, such as the defense of sovereignty, are subjects of increasingly intense debate in the European community. We see this occasionally in the United States as well. It's important for all of us to understand how the conservative community around the world is evolving. Rather than hear the media pontificate or others talk about Europeans, we should be listening to the Europeans and especially to the Hungarians. So it's very timely that we have an opportunity this afternoon to hear Minister Varga's remarks on promoting conservative values in modern Europe. After her remarks, we'll have a deeper discussion moderated by my colleague, Aaron Walsh, our senior research fellow for international relations in the Allison Center for Foreign Policy. And then hopefully we'll be able to get a couple of questions from you in the audience. With that, would you please join me in giving a warm welcome to our friend, Hungarian Minister of Justice, Judith Varga. Thank you very much, uh, uh, dear ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon. It's an honor for me to be here. Uh, I'm coming very far away from here. so. Uh, Actually, after this very nice introduction, uh, I humbly uh, thank you uh, for the opportunity to present uh, the Hungarian conservative uh, policy, uh, which uh, might be uh, of a common uh, benefit for all our uh, fights uh, 
in our countries uh, for this case. And uh, about myself, I, I rather identify myself with a mother of three uh, who had been uh, pushing the trolley five years ago in Brussels around Schumann Square, not dealing with uh, high-level politics. I was just uh, doing my everyday business as a policy advisor in the European Parliament. And I dig myself down into the dossiers of everyday life, be it industry policy or uh, any kind of European Union policy. And then uh, I realized uh, day by day uh, how this European Union, uh, with the progressive liberal trend, is actually infringing on the sovereignty of the nation states. And uh, when, uh, after the elections in 2018, um, Mr. Guyash, uh, called me and said, hey, come home, be State Secretary for European Affairs. Uh, we all felt with my husband and family that it is the time we have to come home. And uh, what we actually, uh, like a sponge, we put into ourselves as an experience about the real functioning of the whole European Union. We have to now uh, serve the country with this background and, uh, and try to make ourselves understood by our partners so that we can continue a successful conservative policy for Hungary. So thank you very much for the attention. Thank you very much for your curiosity. Um, we are quite happy these days because we just won the fourth consecutive term uh, with two-thirds majority. So this is uh, already the fifth Orban government, but the fourth in a consecutive row since 2010. And uh, why I'm saying this is that uh, this national conservative policy proved to be workable over time. And we have also evidence. Just to name a few, we promised in 2010 that we will base our society on the value of work. And we promised that we will increase the active workers in the country by 1 million, in a country of 10 million where 8 million adults are living. So it's, it's really a huge number. And we actually made it. Uh, by uh, 2021, uh, we reached this plus one million worker. So this was uh, just one example uh, of the conservative politics uh, that it is also uh, can bring that it also can bring uh, economic development to a country. And we proved that not only the liberal recipe may work for the benefit of the country, but also uh, other recipes like. Uh, Christian democratic or, or national conservative uh, recipe. And uh, dear ladies and gentlemen, uh, just uh, to mention the most important actuality of these days, yesterday Hungary commemorated the 66th anniversary of the 56th revolution. And uh, if you uh, have heard about this, I'm, I'm sure that uh, you also uh, noticed that Hungarians have a genuine desire for freedom. And it is uh, the, the way uh, there are landmarks of 1848 revolution against Habsburg monarchy, then the 56th revolution against Soviet tanks. And then we had the democratic change in 1990, where we finally uh, uh, reached our freedom. And today, dear ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a period of crisis. Uh, especially in Europe, we see a threefold crisis, the political, the economic, and the value crisis. And I would like to just uh, give some hints on all those three branches. And uh, I will define our policy in the framework of the European Union, because uh, 
I know that it is very difficult from very far uh, to know about the tiny little details about the member states' uh, relationship in the European Union. But uh, if uh, I define our policy vis-à-vis the European mainstream politics, uh, then you can grab uh, the, the essence of our everyday fight uh, within this union. And uh, why we are actually uh, a problem for the liberal mainstream is that we proved that uh, the three concepts, the protection of sovereignty, the consistent representation of the conservative values, and uh, the democratic state governed by the rule of law, they are reconcilable. So to be rule of law member state, uh, you, you can pursue a conservative policy as well. So it's not only the liberal uh, uh, state which, uh, which uh, can be uh, governed by rule of law, but also with conservative values, you can manage to remain within the framework of the rule of law state. And uh, the success uh, of our government is actually proved by this uh, very strong mandate given by uh, the voters. On the 3rd of April, actually, there was 54% of the Hungarian voters uh, opting for, for the Conservative Party, uh, Fidesz, and uh, it's a lie, the Christian Democratic uh, Party. And out of uh, 6 million votes, we gained more than six, 3 million, uh, 60,000. So this is a very, very valuable and strong mandate, which uh, allows us to govern without any kind of coalition pressure or coalition uh, uh, need, where uh, we are not uh, forced to compromise on our values. And this is a very, very unique situation for us in Europe, where we are having partner countries with fragile coalitions, where everyone is in the coalition, uh, right wing, left wing, at least uh, four or five parties are now, nowadays uh, on, the, on the top of uh, member states, which then uh, prevents them from uh, being identical to their values, because they always have to compromise, even in internal politics, not to mention European politics. And uh, the challenge is what we are facing in this uh, threefold crisis uh, are uh, political one and, uh, and also ideological one. Uh, and here I would like to define the relationship of the European Union and, and the member states. Because when we uh, joined the European Union, we all uh, believed that uh, the sovereign uh, right will be respected, as it is stated in the treaties. Uh, and we all know that population, territory, and sovereignty defines the state. And when the European Union uh, was founded, the founding idea was that uh, some part of the sovereignty is not given up, but some part is jointly practiced of each member state's sovereignty so that they can be successful together in certain areas. But these areas are strictly regulated in the treaties. These areas are like the customs union, the common market, uh, all those uh, very practical things which, makes, uh, which make our lives easier and, uh, and guarantee the prosperity of the whole European Union. But it was crystal clear by the time of joining the European communities that certain areas remain uh, untouchable uh, because they are core and essential part of our sovereignty. This is how we define family. Uh, what is our uh, position on migration? Uh, what is our position on nation? Uh, what is our position on the future of the whole community? Uh, and uh, these uh, parts of our sovereignty were never, ever 
conferred on the on the common institutions of the European Union, uh, because we think that uh, member states, uh, uh, the 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 success, uh, the key to the success of the whole union is lying in the successfulness of each uh, nation state. If we are not successful uh, alone, uh, and if, if we cannot cherish cherish each other's success, there is no chance for us to be successful together. And uh, what we see, unfortunately, and this is why I'm talking about uh, a challenge, that uh, the European Union today is building a Europe without nations. This is actually uh, tangible in the phenomenon how they outsource democracy uh, to those uh, international networks of NGOs uh, which are not entrusted by you know, the, the civil society in each member state, but they are funded uh, internationally and uh, their power is really huge to influence public opinion, especially in the European Union. And this is how the, uh, the everyday functioning of the European Union is not relying on the member states' governments' positions and political guidance, but rather on the institutions who are actually captured by these international NGOs. This is why we say that we need to fix this. We need to bring back the democracy of democracies to Europe. It means that elected and incumbent responsible governments shall come together uh, frequently to show the political guidance because these governments are responsible for their nations, uh, for the economic success, for uh, all kinds of uh, questions of society. But uh, what we see that uh, because of the looming enlargement of competencies and uh, um, um, in a union where, where law does not really exist anymore because there are no consequences if we don't uh, uh, operate by the rules, uh, they are overcoming the, the sovereignty and the sovereign decisions of the member states. And this is how we end up in a, in a European Union without real democracy, only uh, this outsourced uh, uh, type of democracy. But we always think that member states shall remain the masters of the whole uh, European Union. They are also defined by the treaty, like the highest political body, who is uh, working on the culture of consensus. You often hear, I think, uh, if you read news about Hungary, that uh, we are vetoing everything or we are blocking decisions. But it, it is not correct. Uh, let, let us uh, just analyze this, this uh, situation. The word veto is not existing in the treaties. In the treaty, there is only the culture of consensus, which means that there is no decision as long as everybody is happy with the outcome of, of, that, uh, of that negotiating procedure. But unfortunately, we can see it uh, quite uh, recently and, and more and more often that they are trying to corner some member states because uh, the mainstream, the political mainstream, does not want to uh, take care about each uh, and every member state's interest. They're trying to uh, left behind some of those member states who are not really happy with the mainstream liberal line and would require, based on the treaty, consensual rules and culture, some kind of attention towards our national uh, essential interests. Uh, and this is why we are actually forced to say no at the end, based on our right to unanimity. So we should just come back to the status quo and uh, should focus more on the culture of consensus, uh, which is uh, actually resulting, a much, resulting in a much more it's a stronger decision because if it's everybody, everybody's decision and everybody was on board, 
the decision will be implemented much more easier at the end. And this was not said by a Hungarian minister. It was already said by other ministers in the council when we had a very hot discussion quite recently whether unanimity should uh, cancel the, in the European decision making. And we said, no, unanimity is actually the, the ultimate uh, 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 help for those member states who are not falling within the mainstream because of their democratic uh, mandate. We get a mandate from our citizens. And they entrusted us with the conservative uh, uh, value uh, defense. And if uh, the common uh, uh, majority decision is not uh, aligned with this mandate, we have to say no. And this is why it would be better to start all the discussion uh, turning to each and every member state and asking them, is this good for you? Show me your numbers. How can we have a good compromise? But uh, instead uh, of this, uh, there is a an ever-growing uh, situation when when this veto is coming up uh, more and more often because the rights of, uh, of the smaller member states or those member states who are not uh, fitting the line are not uh, fully respected. And uh, this is why in the framework of the Future of Europe uh, conferencing uh, exercise, what we had uh, over the last two years, Hungarian citizens were very active because we have already almost two decades of experience about uh, about this membership, what it means for us in practice. And uh, the Hungarian citizens were actively participating. We had 800 conferences, a lot of contributions online from the citizens uh, because we, we still uh, have uh, a pro-European approach how we could preserve this uh, community uh, as it was uh, so prosperous uh, in the past, how it can... Uh, uh, continue to be prosperous and preserving true democracy. And this, uh, this is why Hungarians uh, have a very strong view about the future of the European Union. And they say that uh, we, should, we should make uh, the democracy of democracies. So, for example, what if uh, the incumbent uh, parliaments would send their representatives to the European Parliament so that they have a closer link to the real democracy in each member state? Because uh, the European Parliament, by definition, became a, a body which is ideology-driven, where international NGOs uh, can have a, a great forum uh, to enhance their own ideological views. But it has nothing to do with the real will of the peoples of Europe. And this is why we recommend, uh, if there is a reform of the European Union, to uh, elect uh, or to send uh, uh, members of the European Parliament from among the members of the national parliaments, like in the case of the Council of Europe. Another idea is that uh, an ever closer union, the concept of the ever closer union, should be removed from the treaties. If you remember when the, when the Brits had the, the vote uh, on Brexit, uh, Cameron uh, promised, if we stay, then I will renegotiate this sentence in the treaties, because this is actually the, the problem of many things. How do we define the ever closer union? It is actually by nature uh, resulting in a in a supranational state at the end because uh, how can we be ever closer? Uh, I see what the Luxembourg Court of Justice is doing, the European uh, Court of Justice. Even if there is no uh, legal base for certain uh, measures which they enact by political majority, and some member state is challenging this decision in front of the Luxembourg Court, uh, there is a judgment which approves, approves the looming enlargement of competencies. And this is how we end up in an ever closer union 
when they are touching upon the sovereign parts of the nations, when we are defining our family policy, for example, or child protection act or, or migration laws, they are uh, by this looming uh, exercise uh, of, of the competencies and approved and, uh, and justified by the court of justice judgments, we are ending up in a situation where we, we have no tools anymore to protect our sovereignty as a nation state. So this is why uh, we offer uh, to remove this part from the treaties so that we make it clear which belongs to common uh, competences, where there can be a European Union legislation and where are the sovereign uh, barriers and where, is, where are those topics and areas which cannot be touched uh, by uh, the European institutions. And this all leads us to an ideological uh, pressure, the, the, the most important political challenge, that uh, the European Union is currently, unfortunately, building a, a, union, of, a union of hegemony of, of, of opinions. So while previously the motto of the Union was, and still this is the effective motto, united in diversity, what we see uh, every day is that uh, unity, rather homogeneity, is much more important than diversity. But what we say that uh, diversity is as important as unity. This is how uh, Europe is so unique, uh, because we all have a different uh, pathway in our history, how we get to our uh, current democracies, and uh, our strength lies in the respectful mutual cooperation. So we, there cannot be only one ideology, uh, being a hegemon ideology uh, in the European Union, and uh, this, is, this should not be an alignment, a pressured alignment of opinion, but it should always be a respectful uh, cooperation. And a good old tool to align uh, member states, uh, which, to which I already referred to in the, the beginning of my introduction, this blackmailing tool is the, the rule of law uh, procedures. There are a wide range of variety of rule of law uh, procedures. Um, I myself witnessed many of them, and uh, this is my everyday job, uh, to take part in, in this uh, rule of law uh, discussions. I think there are lawyers also in the room. We all know from our studies from the law school that uh, there is no one-size-fits-all solution to, to the rule of law uh, setup of a member state or, or any country or any democracy. There are only principles and uh, some standards but how exactly, for example, the judiciary looks like, how many judges do we have in the Supreme Court, how constitutional court judges are elected, whether there are 15 members to it, whether there is at all a constitutional court in any country, because not every member state in the European Union have a separate uh, uh, constitutional court. So what I'm trying to say that uh, in rule of law discussion, only a constitutional discussion is possible. When uh, constitutional lawyers or judges are having a nice conversation, and uh, they can change uh, best practices, and we can learn from each other. But just uh, because uh, we are not the same line from a political perspective, uh, it does not mean that that country which uh, is not taking the same line is infringing any principle of rule of law. And unfortunately, quite recently, uh, we, are, we are witnessing a trend where certain member states who, who have a national conservative government, for example, Poland, Hungary, and now quite recently Italy, they are blackmailed with rule of law uh, tools. 
I think before the Italian elections, uh, President von der Leyen had a lecture in New York. Um, and uh, you may have heard about it. And he said, if Italy uh, is not behaving well, then we have the right to. Uh, and you know, the Italian uh, citizens, they were quite upset about this because what shall this mean to us? Why is she saying this? And I could quote uh, sentences like this uh, concerning Hungary as well, when uh, some, uh, I think it was the Maltese commissioner who said, we have the tools to uh, force a member state to take the line if they don't want to take the line uh, because they have a different political view. So what I see uh, from this uh, whole uh, development is unfortunately nowadays in the European Union, the political preferences and tastes are mixed up with legal issues. And uh, I learned at the law school that uh, we have values, which we all share, freedom, democracy, respect for human dignity, non-discrimination, etc., which are listed in Article 2. But all these values are reflected in certain laws, because the laws are there to protect these values. But if we are talking about political positions, like uh, we are a pro-migration or, or non-migration, or, or what, is, what is your position towards mass illegal migration? Some member states they say it's OK. But it is our sovereign right to say it's not OK, because we don't support mass illegal migration. Or what is the family concept of our countries? Uh, it is, it is up to the sovereign uh, member states how they uh, define uh, family, for example. We don't uh, we respect other member state decisions, but we also expect the respect for our uh, um, definition of the family. And here we are talking about political preferences, uh, mentality, uh, traditions. It's, it's not a legal issue. It's, uh, when, when we are talking about legality, it means that if we have a family concept, our law will, will guarantee that this concept uh, is uh, safeguarded uh, in the member state, in the country. So the rules and the laws are there to protect values and also uh, the traditions of, uh, of the member states. And unfortunately, today we are facing a, a, a European Union when uh, preferences, political positions are mixed up with, uh, with the legality. And this is how they stigmatize certain member states uh, uh, with, this, uh, with this very unfair uh, accusation that you are not a real democracy or not a real rule of law. Just a, a historic uh, hint, 800 years ago, exactly 800 years ago, we had our Hungarian Magna Carta. We just celebrated. Magna Carta, when there's a deed, you know, uh, defining uh, the legal uh, situation, legal relationships in the society vis-a-vis -vis the ruler. Uh, the Magna Carta, we all know that it was in 1215 uh, in, uh, in the UK, or at that time not UK, but in England. And just seven years later, in Hungary, we already had our own Magna Carta. So when we are talking about uh, rule of law, uh, uh, I don't know, experience, we have quite a, a strong experience of 800 years uh, in our country. Uh, to base uh, the functioning of the state on, on legal documents. So I don't uh, want to be too uh, long because we have a, a discussion ahead of us. But uh, finally, let me just uh, give uh, uh, some remarks on the economic challenges, uh, what we have. I think uh, here again, uh, 
life proves that if we don't respect the, the freedom of member states to act, we will not be able to face the challenges of the economy. The COVID crisis also showed that the first responders of the COVID challenge were the, the member states, because our voter ex expected us to buy enough masks, to buy enough vaccines. Uh, we could not wait for the, for the common uh, position, for the common purchase system. And this is how, uh, in Hungary, we managed to have vaccines even uh, four months before uh, the European Union could provide this for us. And this is how we could rebound, uh, rebounce our, our economy four uh, months before others uh, could restart it, because it was about the vaccination. So the first responders were the member states, and this is how uh, we managed to protect our citizens. And here we are facing uh, uh, a great... Uh, threat of economic recession because uh, there is a war in the closest vicinity uh, of Europe and uh, the answers given uh, to this uh, war are also affecting the economies of Europe. These are the sanctioning policy and also the energy policy. So uh, here we also always fight uh, for the freedom of the member state to have its own energy mix with by, by defining common goals, how to have uh, a diverse uh, supply of energy resources, what are the percentages uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in the nearest future. But uh, since there are so many national character and specificities of the energy market in each member state, we cannot uh, sign up to a one-size-fits-all solution. And this is why we also fight here for our sovereignty to have uh, the right to determine how and by which schedule we will get rid of uh, the dependency of the uh, fuels uh, and the energy resources for Hungary. And Prime Minister Orban quite recently said, uh, even though uh, everyday life might be more difficult uh, these days uh, because of this uh, threat of global recession, we still should not forget about our long-term objectives, which we should always look at on the horizon. And these objectives uh, is, as uh, I just uh, recall our conservative policy, work, innovation, and knowledge should always be uh, supported because this is key for the long-term economic success. We have to diversify our energy mix based on sovereign decisions, not uh, forced uh, from, a, from a center uh, decision-making institution. And which is even more important, uh, the family policy, because uh, we have a very uh, wide range of uh, tools to support uh, young couples and families in Hungary so that we can fight the, de the demographic challenge. And we spend 5% of our GDP on family financial support schemes, which is at least the double of the European average. And even there are difficult times for our economy. We will not forget about this long-term objective. And we will continue to support our extensive uh, family uh, financing support scheme. So thank you very much for your attention. I'm uh, looking forward to, to our discussion, uh, and I'm also looking forward to your questions. Thank you very much. Well, Madam Minister, that was wonderful. Um, 
honestly a seminar. It was so great. I mean, many of the things that I was going to actually touch on, you really covered. I mean, Hungary has done such an amazing job, and, and certainly you under your leadership, and, and the President Orban's has been quite something over the last several years. The Orban government has championed policies which defend and seek to preserve the Hungarian character. It seems now, for instance, with the elections in Italy, other nations are echoing the importance of preserving their national character, a little bit different than what you just talked about in the EU. Can you talk about why it's so important for Hungary and perhaps share some of those efforts that you've undertaken to achieve just that? Because, can you hear me? Yes, thank you very much. As I said, uh, you know, the, the key to Europe's success is uh, the key of uh, the success of its nations. And uh, we think that uh, there is a, a basic difference, for example, to the United States of America and the United States of Europe, because there is a, always a political uh, will uh, at the federalist uh, uh, side uh, to, to get there someday. But you know, the starting point is completely different, uh, how you evolve to be uh, this beautiful country and how European countries, uh, who always fought each other throughout the centuries, uh, come to the, uh, the cooperative format of, of the European Union. And if we lose our colors, if we lose our uh, national character, we will, I think, lose uh, the, the key to the success. Because uh, all what we uh, see here, that there is a constant uh, uh, attempt to demolish those building blocks of the nation, uh, like family, like the historic church, uh, this uh, regional cooperation, local communities, which at the end add up the nation and the sovereign feeling. And if we lose all this, uh, what will be next? It's like just profit-oriented, supranational, multinational company will be the European Union. Um, I see uh, a lot of danger uh, on the horizon. Uh, the European Parliament just came up with an idea that during the next European elections, we should have a supranational list electoral list. Can you imagine how a Hungarian citizen will vote uh, somebody uh, on the list who, is, who has nothing to do with that country? Uh, what this will uh, have as a consequence that uh, that person, of course, will not fight for Hungarian interests, but at least for the interest of his country of origin or his her country of origin or some other interests which are supranational uh, interests. And then uh, we will be a homogeneous, uh, faceless uh, mass of, uh, of citizens uh, and uh, not uh, respecting our Christian heritage, not respecting our families, our uh, national traditions. Uh, and then this is, of course, it can be criticized, this, this point of view. But we Hungarians, we share all this view that we would like to stay who we are for the next thousand years. And that's why we always fight back any attempts which would just... Uh, infringe upon our freedom. And in order to understand the Hungarian uh, position, we have to go back to history. We always uh, um, uh, could trust uh, our, our national uh, feeling and freedom fight uh, when we had to get rid of, uh, of external invasion because uh, we were invaded uh, by the Turks, uh, we had Soviet tanks. Uh, so for us, uh, the nation is a positive concept. It's not a threat. Uh, to our values. On the contrary, this is the key to our survival as a nation. And we do know that there are other nations whom had a negative connotation with the concept nation, 
And this is why they, all, they had, for example, internally a problem during their history. And from external help, they could get rid of this problem. And this is why, for them, the concept nation has a different connotation. So in this kind of Europe, uh, there is no one-size-fits-all solution. We can only trust each other if we respect each other's history, each other's uh, sovereignty, and then try to find those common lines when we can successfully cooperate, but not touching upon uh, those uh, areas which, uh, which cannot be reconciled. And um, this is why we think that this is the key for the future of Europe. That's fantastic. Just touching on Italy for a moment, the recent elections, and, and how you see is there a movement across Europe that might be picking up on some of this so that you, and perhaps Poland, would not be facing just in isolation what you have been fighting for? Um, actually, the Polish-Hungarian friendship is, is centuries old, uh, and we are still uh, united in our fight for, uh, for uh, strong nations uh, uh, of a strong Europe. Uh, we see very positive uh, trends, let's say. Um, we are very happy about the Italian election result. Uh, in Sweden, we also see mm -hmm. that uh, yeah. right-wing uh, coalition is, is being formed. Um, I think uh, our next big step or big event will be the 24 European elections. And we have to be all national conservatives and right-wing uh, uh, parties and politicians. We should be preparing for this election. And I don't think that uh, the titles and the formats uh, should matter. What should matter that uh, we have to believe that we are capable of uh, gaining ground and, uh, and, and having uh, better positions uh, for the whole right wing in the European Union uh, than before in the 2019 elections. And by this uh, very constant uh, crisis of the everyday lives, when energy prices are rising high, uh, uh, there's a wartime inflation all across Europe. Uh, I think it will also have an effect uh, that uh, politicians will be forced to, to look at what their citizens uh, need. Even if they don't look, then they will be protesting. And they are, they are you know, politicians should look out the window and look, look uh, at the streets, what, what's going on, because people uh, require their politicians to deal with their own everyday problems. And unfortunately, with this bubble, with this very liberal and progressive trend in Europe, politics is detached from the reality. There is only the media who is uh, conveying the message, distorting also the information from the society. And the liberal elites uh, in a bubble, in, a, in an ivory tower, uh, are uh, generally uh, you know, governing uh, Europe, except for Hungary and then some countries. And with this very, uh, very concrete uh, challenge of the everyday life, uh, I think this will change. This will change because you know, with uh, ideology, you cannot uh, cook. With ideology, you cannot heat your homes. So uh, reality will be knocking at the door. Actually, already knocks at the door. So this this might have a, a positive effect for mm -hmm. for the right wing uh, parties uh, in Europe to be closer to the reality and not to deal with. Uh, ideologies, but deal with the everyday needs of the citizens, which is, I think, the core, core element of the conservative politics. Exactly. Well, 2024 is going to be a big year for all of us, I think. Um, just an, another question before we open it up for just a couple of minutes, um, if you don't mind. I just wanted to ask you what 
clearly here in the United States, you've seen and, and read that we are facing many of these same things with this woke ideology, which is impacting so much um, here from the schools. And you said um, when we were talking just before this, and, and Dr. Robertson as well, about the importance of family, and you were riding around with your children and pushing them in the pram. What are some of the things specifically that conservatives that you're seeing in Hungary, what have you done to sort of address these issues, to sort of push back against this ideology, this progressive ideology, and what can you share with conservatives here? Thank you very much. Uh, this is a very important topic, uh, and this is the, the best forum to, to discuss among ourselves. We are in a lucky situation uh, because we, we realize that there is a trend that what is happening uh, in the Western societies, it is most probably after 20 years is also happening in our societies. So we only had to just look at uh, the, the civil society challenges uh, in the US, in, in the Western part of Europe, and uh, we had enough time to prepare for the challenge because we still we are in a position this, to decide whether we want to get into this uh, situation or not. And this is why we amended uh, the Constitution or inserted uh, an amendment which is a guarantee that uh, every child has a right to its uh, uh, his, a right to, to its sex at birth, which is corresponding to, to his sex at birth. And this is just you know a, a very uh, um, normal sentence uh, which uh, then gives uh, the possibility to, de to derive the right of the child and the right of the parents to determine uh, how this child should be uh, educated uh, when, when he or she is still a minor. And uh, this right of the parent to determine the education of the child is, is actually guaranteed by the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the European Union. They are actually stating that uh, in line with national laws, it is the parent who, who shall uh, determine uh, based on his philosophical, pedagogical, and uh, uh, cultural uh, convictions uh, what kind of uh, education this child should get. So this is how we excluded any kind of uh, external interference into the education, uh, unwanted interference, and the, the parents' uh, agreement uh, is needed uh, so that uh, the child uh, gets any, any kind of uh, uh, education. And uh, also the propaganda is, is just closed uh, out of the, uh, of the schools and kindergartens. So this is uh, a, a clear line between adults and children. Any adult in, in my country can live the way they want. We are helping everyone to live freely. Uh, all the human rights are justified uh, and guaranteed at the criminal, constitutional, and civil law level. So uh, Hungary is, is, is a very free country. As an adult, you can live the way you wish. And uh, this uh, way of living is fully respected, not only by the society, but also by the legal system. But when it comes to our children, uh, we shall have uh, a guarantee for the families and parents to determine in, in which uh, circumstances this child grows up, uh, even when they are not at home. So this is why this kind of uh, protection uh, level is inserted in, into our laws, uh, which is, again, guaranteed, or this possibility is there uh, in the fundamental charter, fundamental rights charter of the European Union. So Very this well. is uh, what we did actually. Safe there. Yes. <laughs> Great. Well, let's open it up. I think we have a time for one or two questions. Um, why does Hungary stay? 
sorry? Why, why does it remain in the EU with all the differences and challenges? To stay? Why do you stay? Yes, thank you very much. It's a good question because we always belonged to Europe. And uh, in, the, in the national credo, because we have a constitution and the constitution begins with the national credo. And there we state that we are proud of the fact that throughout the centuries, Hungarians, with their fight, uh, they give their blood to enrich European values and to protect Europe. Because we, we always belonged to, to Europe. Unfortunately, during the communism, for more than 40 years, we were legally not allowed to be members of Europe. But we've, we've been always there. And uh, there is a good saying uh, when, a, when a parent or a teacher is actually, you know, uh, arguing with the child that it, it's, I'm not angry against you, I'm angry for you. And I think Hungary is this child in the European Union who is always angry uh, for the European future. Because we see that those trends where, where Europe is actually denying its own values, its Christian roots, its, uh, its traditions, uh, then it is destroying itself. And the way how we act uh, as a member of the European Union, the consequences of our actions are always beneficial for the whole European Union. Otherwise, we would not do it. And once Prime Minister said that uh, I'm, hung I'm European because I'm Hungarian. If I were not Hungarian, I could not be European either. So the national affiliation uh, and relationships, the primary relationship for every nation in Europe to be uh, able to be defined as, as being European. And I also give you an example. Uh, quite recently, there was a, a proposal from the European uh, Commission to have an oil embargo as a sanction. Uh, the oil, which is uh, one of the primary uh, fuel resources for European economy. And since there was a constant pressure that uh, we have to push this through, said the European Commission, they did not uh, go to each and every capital to ask for the economic data, how much percentage of your uh, industry and uh, energy production relies on Russian oil. Uh, they just, from top down, they, they had a you know, uh, proposal, which was, of course, supported by most of the uh, member states who, who are not dependent on, on this oil. And then uh, you know, we were there uh, only alone who were brave enough to speak up loudly that, sorry, but you are killing our economy. If you kill us, it will also affect you. And not to mention that there were other member states who are not in this very optimal political position as the Hungarian government that we can, we can speak our mind because we have a strong support from the, from the citizens. And there are fragile coalitions, which I said, and some other member states who are also dependent on Russian oil, uh, they were not in a position to speak up loudly because they were also uh, fear of the consequences. You see the consequences, do I name, name them, shame them, stigmatize? So we fought until our last blood. So we fought uh, for a um, exception. Sorry, my Hungarian <laughs> English is not the, the best. So we, we fought for an exemption uh, of the pipeline oil uh, for certain countries. So you see, it was only us uh, playing the, the bad cup. But at the end of the, the day, many other member states and the whole European economy is actually benefiting from this bravery. And usually, this is the typical pattern. And this is why I'm always saying uh, this is uh, the, the rule of law issues or the veto is, is a political question. It's not a legal question. And uh, 
we have a very good uh, uh, election result. This is why we, we dare to, to speak the minds of our citizens. I'm always saying to, to the voters when we are campaigning, what is on your heart, it is on my, on my mouth. So I can, I can uh, clearly uh, represent this mandate in the council. And uh, we also think that the best alternative for any kind of international cooperation, is, it is evidently and obviously the European Union for Hungary, because we've always been here. And uh, maybe uh, because your question just, you know, uh, stimulates me to, uh, to tell you more about us. So if you allow me, uh, we just uh, commemorated the 56th revolution. And uh, when we finally, in 1989, uh, we were deliberated from, from this dictatorship, uh, from the Soviet uh, Union, you know, we had so much expectations uh, to be free, what, what it means to belong to the free West. And uh, over time, we realized that uh, it's another world where there is a, a new speak uh, in the European Union. So we, we deliberated ourselves from a dictatorship when, when, when you sp spoke uh, your uh, political mind and you were taken to jail. So it was really a, a very bad time uh, for democracy and for free speech. There was no freedom of speech. And then when we finally uh, get, got our freedom, we joined another uh, political community when because of this uh, liberal progression and political correctness, there was another new language which, which we did not want to learn. And, uh, and the French philosopher uh, uh, who, is, uh, who is not uh, a Hungarian, uh, no Hungarian origins, she is just you know, dealing a lot uh, with, with our country's history. And she said, uh, Chantal Delsol is actually the, the, the philosopher, a very famous French philosopher, is a, a great woman. And she said that the former Central European uh, ex-socialist countries, they remind her of the father who left for the war and came home and did not find the same family what he left before he went away. Because we had a dream about Europe. And we always wanted to belong politically and legally to the European Union and to the communities. But by the time we, we got there, we got rid of the chains of communism, we did not find the same family anymore because it was already captivated by this very progressive uh, liberal trend. That time in the 90s was not so easily uh, recognizable, but the roots were already there. And uh, when in 2010, after many years of uh, socialist and liberal governments in, in Hungary, Prime Minister Orban declared uh, this national uh, conservative policy that let's, let's reconquer our country and let's put Hungary first, or let's put our interest first, as every other country in the European Union. But for some, it is allowed, and for some, it is not allowed to, to put national interests first. And we were very uh, smart. Uh, I'm, I'm talking on behalf of other, other Central European member states as well. Very smart uh, to learn the rules of the game uh, quickly. And uh, we said, why not uh, these freedoms, these rights in the European Union, which are there in the treaty, could work for our benefit, like freedom of the capital, freedom of, uh, of, the, of the labor uh, force. And, uh, and we managed to, to have a, an own economic policy using the European rules. Sometimes we had some infringement procedures, but we, we, learned, we, we won the case in the court. So we were uh, allowed to, to use uh, different pricing in energy policy. 
we were always against the, the liberal uh, markets uh, of energy because we, we said that the state has to somehow guarantee for the, for the citizens a certain price. And this was our own method, which now everybody is using in the energy crisis. The, this is the Hungarian model, actually. So uh, we, we just uh, wanted to change this status quo, this economic status quo, to use the rules for our own benefit. It is not contrary the rules. It is not against Europe. It is just, you know, um, the, should be the, the normal uh, way of functioning as a member state. And uh, we are honest in our uh, political uh, and external policy uh, towards our partners. We always name the game. Um, ambassador used to be state secretary for European affairs uh, during the toughest times, let's say. So he also took part in this fight. And we were always honest. Look, my aim is to uh, reconquer the energy market for, for Hungarian businesses because it was sold out by the socialists and uh, the liberals to, to foreign companies. It's a big insecurity for the nation if the energy is not in the hands of Hungarian businesses or, or the state. So we said, okay, we do our best using European rules to take it back. And we managed with market rules, with, with all legal things. But, you know, the status quo is still damaged for, for, for the old member states. So I think uh, uh, many uh, reasons for our problems uh, are also rooted in this. But we are for Europe, we are Europeans, and we don't want to be elsewhere. Thank you. Well, that's fantastic. Madam Minister, if there's anything that you'd like to say before we close out, this has been such an enjoyable uh, conversation this afternoon, and hearing your remarks has been incredible. So, Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, there's nothing left to say that um, to humbly uh, thank for your attention. Thank you for this uh, interest in, uh, in our uh, issues, uh, and I will be always at your disposal uh, if you have some questions or, or don't understand what you read in the, in the mainstream liberal media about my country, especially in political or in CNN, uh, please don't believe them. Uh, and ask, uh, ask us first, <laughs> or the ambassador, whether it is 100% correct or not. <laughs> because this was what I, I did when I, I used to live in Brussels. Uh, I read the news. Uh, and instead of a cafe, I just read the news and my blood pressure went up. <laughs> and uh, I sent my comment uh, to my friends, and please read this article with my corrections, because this is not 100% true. And just not to, not to, um, to be uh, seen uh, like big-headed, we, 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 we know we are not perfect. Uh, we also make mistakes. Uh, Sometimes we can be even selfish uh, towards national interest. Uh, but we are like everyone uh, or every other country in the world, uh, trying to, to fight for our rights, trying to fight for economic interest. And uh, um, during this way, we are also committing some, some mistakes. And uh, then uh, there is a correction. But uh, it does not mean that we are the only uh, black sheep uh, in the world, which is actually pressure from the mainstream media. So uh, those who are uh, our friends and cooperating with us, they all get off very well. This is what's said by Mr. Prime Minister Orban. So thank you very much well, for the session. Well, thank you so much once again. And it's just been a joy having you here. And you're not the black sheep. You're another great point of light in the country that we are all following so closely. So thank you for coming. It's been wonderful to host you here at Heritage. Thank you very much. It was an honor for me. Thank you.